Here we are out on the river in Dan's boat because it's the perfect setting for our first epic story, the story of Jonah. Jonah's story takes place, the part we're going to look at today, on a boat. Now, it would have been a boat probably a lot bigger than this one. In fact, historians tell us that it was a Phoenician sailing vessel that measured about 180 feet in length. Just to give you some modern-day equivalents, uh, a good-sized shrimp boat is about 85 feet in length. So Jonah's sailing vessel was probably twice that size. But not as big as a modern-day cruise ship. A carnival cruise ship measures over 850 feet in length. Hey, if we were to head out the mouth of the river here, out to the Gulf of Mexico, in about 1,000 miles, we could be in Texas. But when Jonah gets on board his boat, he's headed on a trip of 2,000 miles, twice the distance. Historians say it would have taken almost a year to get there because the boat wasn't powered by a motor. It was powered by sails and probably men rowing once in a while. You know, if we were to go and ask people out on the street if they know the story of Jonah, they probably say something like this. Yeah, it's the story of Jonah and the whale, and he's in a, the belly of a whale named Montrose because he's running away from a man named Geppetto because he wants to be a real boy, and at that point, he gets real fuzzy. Well, seriously, we probably heard this story growing up as children, but I want to tell you today, it's an epic story. It's a story of human drama and suspense and adventure. It's a story where God turns the ordinary into legendary. And it's a story that I think is filled with some lessons that we can apply to our lives today. So let's uh, go ahead and dig into this story. If you brought your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open it up right now. Find the book of Jonah. We're going to look at the first couple of chapters today. Uh, it's in the Old Testament part of your Bible. And if you're not sure where it's at, you probably want to look at the table of contents because it's a very short book and it's kind of hard to find. You open your Bible and let's dig in and find some lessons for our lives today. So while you guys are finding the book of Jonah, let me tell you about a couple of uh, three guys that uh, felt like they needed to run away. These uh, three guys were three athletes, and uh, they found themselves in prison because they had uh, broken a law they didn't know about in a foreign country. And uh, so they had been uh, sentenced to actually die by the execution squad. There was a uh, dark-haired uh, soccer player, a bald-headed uh, tennis player, and a blonde-haired football player. So uh, first day came along, and it was the dark-haired tennis player's day to be executed. So they take him out in front of the firing squad. The commander says, do you have any last wishes? He says, no. Now, he thought about this in advance, and the commander shouts at the execution squad, ready, aim, and this guy screams, earthquake, which all sends them into a little bit of a craziness. You know, they kind of look around, what's going on? And in the uh, confusion, he escapes. Next day, it's the the uh, bald-headed tennis player's turn. And so they bring him out in front of the execution squad and the commander says, do you have any last wishes? No. He says to the execution squad, ready, aim. And this guy screams, tornado. And again, there's confusion. And in the confusion, he escapes. Well, the next day, it's the uh, blonde-haired football player. He knows he has got it all figured out, exactly what he's going to do. So they bring him in front of the execution squad. Some of you know where this is going, don't you? And... Uh, Commander says, any last wishes? He says, no. He says to the execution squad, ready, aim. And the football player says, fire! Yeah, okay, sorry. You were hoping for something a lot better than that, weren't you? Hey, let's dig into uh, Jonah chapter 1. Jonah, I think, feels like he needs to escape. He needs to run away. Listen to what happens here. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. 
Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. In other words, God speaks to Jonah. Now that shouldn't strike us as odd because God is a speaking God. Throughout history, He has been speaking to people. Sometimes it's been in an audible voice. There are other times that God speaks through circumstances. Sometimes God has chosen to speak through His prophets. Other times, God has spoken and continues to speak through the Holy Spirit. And you know what? God is still speaking to us today. God speaks to us today in many ways, but predominantly today, He speaks to us through the Bible. The Bible contains His words for us. But when He speaks to us, like Jonah, we have to make a choice. Are we going to do what He says or not? Well, He says to Jonah, go Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a thriving metropolis. It was the capital of Assyria at the time. In fact, historians say it was the largest city in the world at that time. It was also a city of great wickedness. There were a lot of people who found themselves living very far from God. And God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Now, here's what happens in verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, a port city, where he found a ship bound for that port, for Tarshish. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish. And then this next part is very important. To flee from the Lord. Jonah seems to say by his actions, you know what, God? I'm going to go in my own direction. I'm going to run away from what you've asked me to do. And here's how the rest of the story basically goes. He gets on this board. They set sail, headed for Tarshish, and God sends an incredible storm that rocks the boat, literally. This 180-foot sailing vessel is bounced all over the place by the storm. The experienced crew of sailors tries to lighten the load, throwing things overboard so that they can gain better control of the ship, but it doesn't help any. Jonah, meanwhile, is down below. He has fallen asleep. I've been on boats. I don't know how you sleep through a storm on a boat, but he was. And as he sleeps, they're frantic aboard. They're calling out to their own gods. It was a very pluralistic society, meaning they each had their own gods. And all the sailors are crying out to their individual gods and nothing is doing any good. The captain comes down and wakes Jonah up and says, why don't you cry out to your God? Jonah cries, says, my God is the God of the land and the sea and the wind. And the captain says, cry out to him. See if that doesn't do any good. That doesn't change anything. And so they decide they'll, they'll draw lots. It's like uh, sort of picking straws. You know, who has the shortest straw? And so they, they cast lots and it falls on Jonah. And so they are determined that all of this mess is Jonah's fault. And so they say, what did you do to make your God so angry? Jonah says, why don't you just throw me overboard? And they are very hesitant about that. They try all the harder to, to row to a, a distant shore to see if they can get out of the storm. But to no avail, they make no progress. The storm only gets worse. And they're left, they think, with no choice but to throw Jonah overboard. And so they do. They toss him overboard. And immediately, they begin to beg for forgiveness because they're not sure about this God that Jonah serves. He already must be pretty angry. Maybe they've made him angrier. And so they beg for forgiveness from God. And then here's what happens in verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Now, I want you to catch this because I had never noticed this before. I went back and looked at that word provided. 
You know what that word really could be translated? It's the word appointed or commanded or in other words, he told the fish to go and swallow Jonah. Can you hear that conversation with God? Hey, I, I, Mr. Fish, I want you to go swallow this guy. Swallow, but don't chew. Then I want you to let him hang out in your belly for a few days. And then when I tell you, I've got other plans. I don't know if that really, you know, I don't know how the fish knew to go and swallow him, but God provided the fish to swallow Jonah. And then it says in verse 17, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And I'm sure Jonah thought he had hit the very bottom in his life. You see, in his culture, to be thrown into the sea was as bad as it could get. The, the people of his culture feared the sea. They thought of it as a place of terror and death. And so when Jonah hits the bottom, when he finds himself in the belly of a fish, it's as bad as it can get. You know what he does there? He prays. Jonah begins to reach out to God. Jonah, when he hits the bottom, discovers there is a great God. From the guts of that fish, Jonah begins to reach out to God and begins to say to Him, you know what, God? Maybe I need to make You most important in my life. Jonah, at this moment when he had hits the bottom, finally in his life gets desperate for God. He finally decides, you know what? I need to listen to God above everyone else. And God needs to be more important in my life than anything else. Now, Jonah, when he finds himself in the belly of this fish, has to overcome some traps to really get to this point where he acknowledges God's importance in his life. And I want us to look at a couple of these traps today because I imagine, I know for me, they are some traps that I sometimes battle in my life and maybe they are traps in your life as well. Here's the first trap that Jonah has to overcome. Jonah thought he knew better than God. Now, that's probably never true for you, right? You, you never think you know better than God. There are times, I will admit, in my life that I actually think I know better than anyone else. I'm sure that's never true for you, but it is for me occasionally. In fact, I was thinking this week as I was uh, thinking through this point, I remember a time two seasons ago, last Mariner football game of the year, we were playing out in LaBelle, and uh, after a several minute delay, after they cleaned up the manure that, from the horse that was carrying their mascot, we were able to get the game rolling. That was quite an experience. I knew we were in a different world. Um, so they clean it up and we kick off. So partway through the game, um, the quarterback for Mariner rolls back for a pass. He rolls out of the pocket near the sidelines, doesn't have an open receiver. He throws the ball basically out of bounds and they throw a flag saying there wasn't an eligible receiver around. Well, the coach is upset. Other people are upset and it doesn't take me much to get upset. Some of you know. And so I begin to scream from the, the stands, he's outside the tackle box. He's outside the tackle box. Are you crazy? You can't throw that flag. He's outside the tackle box. And I'm demanding that and demanding that. And after I made a complete fool of myself and embarrassed my wife one more time, Mr. Fossey, one of the teachers here at Mariner, kind of screams over at me, they don't have that rule in high school. I quietly sat down and realized I didn't know better than anyone else in this moment. I think in all of our lives, there are times we think we know better than anyone else. God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. 
Jonah's up in the stands screaming at God, but God, you don't understand. It's dangerous to go to Nineveh. God, I think I know better than you about this. I'm not going to go to Nineveh. Now, maybe Jonah thought he had legitimate reasons. You see, Nineveh was not a wonderful place. The people there were very cruel. The Syrians were known to be horrible captors. At times, they, when, they, when there was a threat that they were going to try to take captive a city, it is actually recorded historically that people in that city were so afraid of the Syrians that they would commit suicide just so they wouldn't be taken captive. The Syrians were known for coming into a territory, taking the women and girls and raping them, taking the men outside the city, skinning them alive, burying them in their sand, uh, taking their tongues out and nailing them to the ground and making them listen to Paris Hilton CDs all night long. The last part's not true, but, but the rest is. And so that's the image that Jonah has in his mind of the people in Nineveh. And so maybe legitimately, he is shouting back at God, but God, I think I know better than you. Maybe you don't understand the danger if I go to the city of Nineveh. I wonder if there are some times in our lives when we are standing up in the stands shouting at God, I know better than you, God. Maybe God has encouraged you, has spoken to you and said, there's somebody that you need to forgive. But you're shouting from the stands, God, I know better than you. When in reality, God knows that there is a bitterness that you are carrying around and it is eating you up. And you need to forgive. But you're protesting, but God, you don't understand. You don't know how bad this person is. You don't know what it will mean if I let him off the hook. Maybe for you, it's that God has spoken to you about the importance of giving the tithe. Of you giving 10% of your income to God. And you're shouting from the stands, but God, you don't understand. You don't know how bad the economy is here in America. You don't know how difficult things are. You couldn't possibly want me to give 10% to you during a time like this. Maybe for you, God, it has to do... Um, with obedience in some other area of your life. Maybe it has to do with some issue of purity. And God is challenging you that there are some things that you are putting into your life that shouldn't be there. But you're protesting from the stands. God, but you don't understand. I can handle it. It's not a big deal. It goes in, but it never comes out. Maybe there are other things that God is saying to you, but you keep acting like you know better than anyone else. But you know what the reality is? There probably will come a moment for all of us when somebody from across the way maybe will scream at us and say, hey, you know what? God really does know better. And in that moment, maybe we'll quietly take our seat and finally obey. There's a... Another trap that I think maybe Jonah fell into, and this trap has to do with Jonah found a boat sailing in the opposite direction. God says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah hops on a boat for Tarshish and heads 2,000 miles in the opposite direction. It would have taken a year to travel there. That's a lot of running from God, isn't it? And maybe there are some things in our lives where God has said, I want you to go in this direction. And we've gotten on a boat and headed in the opposite direction. Maybe for you, God has said, you know what, there's somebody that lives near you and I want you to reach out to them. I want you to, to build a relationship with them because I want you to have the chance to point them to Jesus. 
And you've said, but God, that's too risky. I, I, I'm not comfortable with that, God. And you just keep going in the opposite direction, making excuses. God, I, I'm too busy. I don't have time in my schedule for that. I, I'm not the right one. Maybe. Maybe. And I'm sure there are some people like this here today. Maybe God is speaking to you and you've gotten to the point in your life where you believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ really is God's Son. And you believe that He died on the cross and He has died to pay the penalty for your sin. And you, you know, you've messed up along the way. There is some sin in your life. There are things that you've done that you're sorry for. And you've gotten to the point where you realize, you know what, I, I, need to, I need to sort of step across that imaginary line and accept Jesus as my Savior. Let Him be the leader of my life. I need to publicly share that by being baptized. And you, you know you're at that point. But you just keep going in the opposite direction, making excuses, thinking, oh, I'm afraid to, to really let go and let God have control. And you just keep taking that boat in the opposite direction. Maybe, maybe for you, you know what God has said to do, and, and, but you keep sort of saying to God, God, yeah, I know that's what you want me to do, and I'll do it later. But I want to tell you this morning, delayed obedience is really disobedience. If a parent says to a child who's standing out in the middle of the street, hey, get out of the street, and the child just stands there, and the parent says back to them, which is the wrong style of parenting, we'll talk about this in a few weeks in a parenting series, but says back to them, no, you get out of the street, I'm going to count now, one, two, two and a quarter, two and a half, two and three quarters, and the child doesn't budge. Eventually they plan to, and eventually they're going to get out of the street. Is that obedience? No, delayed obedience is disobedience. And we may say to God, God, someday I'm going to do that. That's disobedience. Maybe for you it's not so much that you're running from God. Maybe you've just been drifting. I'm sure this happened to all of us. You know, this probably happened to you. You go to the beach, and I remember especially when the boys were little, we'd go to the beach and we'd be out on the golf plane and we're just having a great time, you know, throwing the ball around or swimming around or whatever. And after you play for a while, suddenly you, you kind of stand up and you look up at the shore and you realize, wait a minute, where am I? And then you sort of scan the beach and you realize, hey, well, our stuff is way over there. How did I end up here? Well, the current just sort of as you were out there playing around kind of kept carrying you a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And you didn't even realize it. And suddenly you were way over here. Maybe you look at your own life and you think, you know, there was a time when I was really close to God. A few months ago, a few years ago. But then you sort of just became very occasional about coming to church. You uh, quit reading your Bible as much. You didn't talk to God very often. Kind of sporadic about being involved in a life group with other Christ followers. Suddenly you just didn't see the activity of God very much in your life. And one day you look up and you think to yourself, Wow, how'd I get here? How'd I get so far from God? It's because you just kind of drifted away. And whether you're running from God or drifting from God, there are plenty of ships that sail in the opposite direction. And it's pretty tempting to jump on those ships. It's pretty tempting to, to get involved maybe with some people who are a bad influence on us. 
people at work or friends and you hang out with them at, after work and they're involved in a lot of things and they're living ways that begin to influence your thinking instead of you influencing them. Maybe it's the wrong friends at school. Maybe it's about the kind of stuff that you're putting into your mind, the things you're viewing online or the kinds of movies that you're watching or, or the language that you allow to go on around you. And it takes you in that wrong direction. I realized something at our house this week that I've allowed us to, to drift a little bit. As the, the boys have gotten older, we've you know, taken down some of the barriers about what we watch at our house. And over the weekend, we at Christmas got a gift subscription to Netflix. And so we've been watching a lot of movies, something we enjoy doing. And there was a movie that came, and I actually am the one that put it on our list, and I didn't pay any attention uh, to what the rating was. It was an R-rated movie. And um, first we were like, ah, so we went ahead and kind of watched it. And there were a few things in it that were very inappropriate. And I thought later afterwards, you know, I've allowed us to, to drift a little bit in that. I've allowed us to watch some things at our house that we shouldn't be watching. And I need to clearly draw that line again and say, no, we're not, we're not going to cross over that line because it puts things into our hearts that aren't healthy for us. You know, you think about this whole first chapter of Jonah. It's all about human action, isn't it? Jonah is going places. Jonah has resources. Jonah is making plans. But when all of his plans turn to disaster, the story of Jonah grinds to a halt. And in the second chapter, you know what? It's not about human action at all. It's all about a guy who prays to God. It's about a man reaching out to God. It's about a man finally admitting that God needs to be more important in his life than anything else. Listen to Jonah's prayer is recorded in chapter 2. Now, I don't think this is all of his prayer. Remember, he was there for three days. I imagine he prayed a lot more than this. But here's the part that we have written down. First one, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, Remember what they thought about the sea? It was a place of terror and death. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and You listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All Your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from Your sight. Yet I, I will look again toward Your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. I love this picture. Seaweed was wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountains. As low as you could get, I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. I was in a prison of water. When my life was ebbing away, verse 7, I remembered You, Lord, and my prayer rose to You, to Your holy temple. Jonah says, when I finally hit the bottom, it was then that it became clear to me. It was then that I remembered You, God. And maybe Jonah is thinking here, you know, I've been going through the motions of acting like I was following God. But God, I haven't really been passionately pursuing You. God, I haven't been desperate for You. You really haven't been more important in my life than anything else. Then he says this in verse 8. I think this is so key. He says, those who cling to worthless idols. In other words, those who cling to making other things more important to God. 
And we probably all have some of those things. That either by our thoughts or by actions, we have indicated to God, you know what, God, I value you to this point. But there are still some things that are more important to me than you. Jonah says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit God's love for them. Stop and think about that for a minute. Now, please understand by what the rest of the Bible teaches, it's not indicating that God stops loving us. That never happens. God always loves us. What it indicates is that when I cling to those worthless idols, when I choose to make other things in my life more important and more valuable to me than God, I walk away from the love of God. I make the choice to forfeit enjoying all of the benefits of God's love for my life. Let me ask you, what drives your life? What rules your desires? What motivates you? For the last few weeks, I've kind of taken a little summer break. I mean, I've been working, but I haven't been speaking every Sunday. And so that slows the pace of my life down a little bit. And you know, when you slow down even just a little bit, sometimes God gets your attention a little bit better. So one of the things that I think God has been saying to me over the course of the last almost month is, Jeff, I know you love me, but are you desperate for me? Jeff, I I know you're following me. But do you really value me more than anything else in your life? And then I think he's been asking me, what about Crosspoint? I know there are a lot of people who love me there. But could you really say, Jeff, that the people of Crosspoint value me more than anything else in their lives? Could you say, Jeff, that, the, that I rule their desires? And I can't answer that question. Only you can really answer that question for yourself. But I do wonder sometimes for all of us. You know, it's pretty easy to to come here and enjoy the show. It's pretty easy to, to go through the motions of what we're supposed to do as Christ followers. But I think at times all of us better stop the boat for a few minutes and really ask. Do I desire God more than anything else in my life? Am I desperate for God? You know, if you come into this room every Sunday and it's just about, boy, the band's really good, the music's hot, I like some of the videos, but you don't come into this room thinking, you know what, I'm going to encounter God here today. I want God to speak something into my heart. I want to meet God here then you're just going through the motions. Because that's what it's all about. Well, here's what happens to Jonah in verse 10 as the story kind of wraps up, at least this part of it. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I love the Bible. If we would have written that, we would have thought of some really clean, politically correct way to say that, wouldn't we? The Bible just says it. Don't you love this book? And he vomited him onto dry land. Now picture that. Smell that. That's disgusting. But God has Jonah's attention. And you know what Jonah does? Cleans himself off first, I imagine. And he goes to Nineveh. 
Now, that's not the end of the story. In fact, I want to encourage you. You need to go home. And you need to, to read the rest of this story this week because there are some more twists and turns to Jonah's adventure with God. But bottom line for right now, God's got His attention. And Jonah is pursuing God above everything else in his life. Now, I know for us, we got to look inside. And I'd ask, are there times in my life that I think I know better than God? Am I on a ship headed in the opposite direction? Or am I pursuing God in my life above everything else? Max Lucado says that if there are a thousand steps that separate us from God, God will take 999 of those steps toward you. And He leaves the last step for you to take. So here's what I wonder this morning. I wonder if there aren't some things in each of our lives where we need to take a step toward God. I want to ask you all just to bow your heads for a moment. And not because I want to freak you out or anything, but I want you to spend a few moments responding not to me, nor to anybody else in the room, but I want you to respond to God. And I just want to ask you some questions. And I want you to respond to God. So I've asked you to bow your heads and close your eyes because I don't want you to worry about what anybody else in the room is doing. I want you just to be able to focus and let God deal with your hearts. So I wonder, are there some people in the room here where you think that you know better than God? And so, you know, God has spoken to you and asked you to do something and you keep saying, God, yeah, I hear you, but I know better. I wonder if you'd be courageous enough, if that's true in your life right now, if you just lift your hand, not so that I can see it, but just as a way to really demonstrate that to God. And I want to encourage you as you lift those hands, thank you. Would you trust Jesus and would you call out on His name this morning? Maybe you are on a ship that is headed in the wrong direction. Maybe you are in a wrong relationship. Maybe you are involved in some things that you shouldn't be and you know that you're on that wrong ship and the step that you need to take this morning is to get off of that ship and to move back in the direction of God. And I wonder if there are any people who'd raise their hand this morning and say, boy, that's true of me. Thank you for being honest. And I encourage you, would you trust in the name of Jesus today? Would you call on Him? And then here's a very important one. I'm pretty sure there are some people in the room today who know in their heart that they're willing and ready to give their life to Jesus. To trust Him today as their Savior, to allow Him to be the leader of their life, to accept His gift of forgiveness and grace, and to begin to walk with Him and to publicly acknowledge that by being baptized. So I wonder, I know there are some of you in the room, would you be courageous enough today for this to finally be the day that you say, okay, God, I let go. I'm giving you control. I'm stepping across the line of faith. Would you acknowledge that by lifting your hand right now? Is there anybody in the room who would do that? I want to pray for us all. God, we want to place our trust in You. Would You help us today to be desperate for You above everything else in our lives? God, if we've been running or drifting or thinking we know better than You or just not willing to give You control, God, would You grab our hearts today? God, would You shake us? Would you help us to be desperate for you and to call on your name above every other name in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Call your name.